0: melted out. In fact, she wasn't ever ice. She was just water going into the water of Persia and living exactly like everybody else. She compromised herself. She married a man she should not have married. She gave all of those things, and yet no matter how badly she messed up, God had not given up on her. I can imagine it's not just how badly she messed up, because there there are a bunch of mistakes that we make. Some of them are bigger than others. Maybe I don't know what what your mistakes are. Maybe you feel like, man, a long time ago, I married the wrong person. And you're sitting in the midst of that right now. And you're like, God, what am I supposed to do? Or maybe you're saying that that one night when I went to prom or whatever it was, I will regret that night for the rest of my life. Or Or... or Whatever it is that you've done, the things that you did uh, under the cloak of darkness that nobody else knows about, the things that only your journal knows, the things that, you know, Josiah talked about shame, the things that you wouldn't dare tell everybody, that's a secret I'm going to take to my grave. Whatever those things are, the word of God is saying no matter how badly you've messed up, okay, understand this, that God doesn't give up on you. You need to know this. You have given up on yourself. Other people have given up on you, but God never God never will. I, a few weeks ago, uh, our son Elijah, he's seven, he came home from school and he was all excited because he had made, he's like, Dad, I made a trade at school. He's like, what did you trade? It's like, I traded my, um, he, he made this like trade of Pokemon cards and he traded Uh, There was a tag team of Pikachu and uh, Zekron or someone. Oh, I traded Pikachu and Zekron, and who'd you get instead? I got got Mega Lucario GX, and I got Umbreon. I was like, oh, you know, like I don't care, but I I pretend like I care. That's awesome, Elijah, let me see. Uh, The only thing I care about is like that he didn't get ripped off, and so I'm like Googling these cards and Google imaging it so that I find out the value. And he's like, look at it, look at it, look at it, and he shows me Umbreon, and Umbreon is all like jacked up. The kid who traded to him, like, folded it, put it in his pocket, like, spit on it, blew his nose on it, t- t- all this stuff, and then he, like, traded it to him. I was like, Elijah, dude, you can't make trades like this. I was, like, having this, like, real uh, deep financial economic talk, like, <laughs> something you got to know, dude. This is, like, your credit score in the future. I said, Elijah, you cannot make trades like that with people like this, okay? Once you fold a card, it loses its value. No, ain't nobody want that, Elijah, Okay. And the corners are all bent like that. They're supposed to be like nice and neat like it just came out of the pack. But when it's like that, this Umbreon is worth nothing, Elijah. So basically what you did is you gave him your Pikachu and, and Zekron. I, th- I don't know if it's Zekron or Necron or whatever it is. You, you traded your Pikachu tag team card for Mega Lucario GX. And I just want you to know that. And he's like, Dad, Dad, no, no. I wanted Umbreon. Like that's the one I really wanted. I was like, Umbreon is jacked up. It's messed up. It's its like it's not worth anything. He's like, but, but, but Dad, Umbreon is the one that I wanted? and even though it's messed up, even though it's messed up and even though it's dirty, like he's the one that I wanted. And I thought to myself, how many jacked up, messed up umbrions do we come across in our world that we think they don't have any worth? They used to when they were fresh out of the pack, but now that they've been beat up and messed up, they're not worth anything. God says, God says, those Umbreon, no matter how messed up they are, no matter how dirty they are, no matter what kind of mess they're in, they still have value to me. I thought, man, Elijah's so godly. <laughs> Some of you need to know this today. That No matter what kind of a mess you find yourself in, Because you see, for Esther, there were choices that she made willfully, but there were also choices that she did not make, things that happened to her. When she was abducted from her own home, forcibly taken from her own, when she was thrust into this harem with people, when she was forced to lose her innocence to a man that she did not love or care about to a ruthless dictator, when all of those things were happening, I can imagine at the end of that night as she sat on that bed or as, if, if they, they kicked her out, her thinking to herself, what has become of my life? What, how did I get into this mess? And what God would say to her and what God would say to you Whatever that mess is, no matter how big it is, how messy it is, no matter how, how badly you've messed up, God says, I have not given up on you. I have not given up on you. I have not given up on you, and you need to know this in the deepest part of your heart. Otherwise, it's going to be like David said. You're going to hear this message, and it's gonna, it, you're just going to go on back to the way that you're living. But to know who you are in Christ, because he loved you, because he did not give up on you. Your worth is not found in what you do or how good you look or how perfectly you've done it. Your worth is not found in who you are. Your worth is found in the one who calls you his own and what he paid in order that you might be his. He didn't buy you with a tag team card. He didn't buy you with all the money in the world, but with the blood of his son, Jesus, in order that you might know your worth. That no one is beyond the reach of the grace of God, no matter how badly you've messed up or no matter how badly people have hurt you, no matter how big the mess you're in, all it takes was for Esther to say, God, I'm coming to you. I'm not going to live this way anymore. Some of you, you need to hear this because some of you need to make this decision to come to God. Because the choices that you're making are just piling upon yourself, not only hurt for yourself, but for people that you love. God hasn't given up on you, but the ball is in your court. Like, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do? Because some of the, 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 the hardest conversations that I have with people, I am glad that I have them. I love the fact that I get to have them, but I don't like the fact that these conversations are necessary. Are with people who said, and it's not just girls, but it's boys, who said, when I was a kid, dot, 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 when I was with this babysitter, Dot, dot, dot. When I was alone with this uncle, dot, dot, dot. And I'll be honest, I don't know if I should be this honest. But if there are times where I say words that I shouldn't say, that I don't want my kids to ever hear or repeat, it's when I'm talking with someone like that. And I say, these things should not have happened. At least no one should have done that to you. Where is God, they say. Where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? I don't understand. Where was God? There's a theologian named Meister Eckhart, and he says, there's nothing that you experience, no sorrow, no loss, no grief, no, no, no pain, no brokenness, no hurt, that you experience that God does not experience that to a greater degree. Like whenever you cry, he cries even more. Whenever you feel this sense of loss, he feels that even more than you do. When you weep, he tastes the salt in his mouth because that's how near he is to you. That's why G- in John eleven thirty five, 35, the Bible verse that all of you have memorized or you can memorize right now, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He weeps over the brokenness of our sin and the effects of sin in the lives of people who he loves. Whenever there's sin, that's not what God desired to happen. But he will use those things and bring redemption. Let me read. As part of my, my study for this sermon series, I read um, a women's Bible study by a lady named Dee and I've, I've, I've quoted her before. But in this women's Bible study, she's inviting women To Listen, and if you're a woman, obviously, this is for you. If you're a man, maybe this is for you to understand, and maybe this will be healing for you as well. Um, But this is what she says. As you read the book of Esther, she said, this is what I feel is God's heart uh, for women, and what he says to her, he says to you. says, you live in a world that is much like ancient Persia, a world obsessed with wealth, youth, carnal entertainment, and sensual immorality. This world can squeeze you into its mold, affecting how you see yourself as a woman. I want to show you how much more I have for you than the world can ever give. If you're a victim of abuse of any sort, as Esther was, I want you to know that I grieve with you. For reasons you may not understand, I allowed it, but I never left you. I'm also a master of bringing beauty out of ashes. I did it for Esther, and I can do it for you. I created you uniquely as a woman. Because of the relational gifts I've given you, you can have an enormous impact on the men, women, and children in your life. You can either walk in the flesh and reap destruction on your loved ones, or you can walk in the spirit as Esther learned to do and bring salvation to your loved ones. I can use you mightily as a woman. When Esther sought me, I gave her the wisdom and grace to overcome a king and his evil advisor and save her people from a holocaust. If you seek me with your whole heart as Esther did, I will give you wisdom and grace to make a difference in your own family, church, and world. Listen carefully to Esther's story. Look for my fingerprints and see how I am able to bring beauty out of ashes. And I pray that that's what you've been hearing through these past 10. I pray that this is what you're hearing this morning. That no matter how badly you've messed up or how big a mess you find yourself in right now because of somebody else's doing or your own, that you would know that God doesn't give up on you. He hasn't given up on you. He never will give up on you. And that he has a purpose far bigger than what this broken world can offer to you if you would come to him. But, 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 The things that I went through were even worse than Esther. You know, when God calls you to be an agent of transformation despite, he factored your brokenness into that calling. Did you know that? He knew that you were broken. He knew that I was broken. And he said the best gift that you can offer to a broken world is your brokenness redeemed. Because who else can understand the brokenness of a world that has gone through all this stuff than one who knows that brokenness and has gone through that stuff and come out on the other side in the healing grace of God. You have a gift and a mission and a purpose in this world and God has called you to it so that you can bring transformation to the broken people that you encounter on a daily basis. This is your destiny as a people of God. Second thing that we see. The last thing that we see is that no matter how absent he seems, God will never leave you. No matter how absent he seems, God will never leave you. I think that's one of the reasons why people have had problems with the book of Esther throughout history. I've read through 10 chapters, DL, and I haven't seen the mention of God. No prophecy about Jesus. Nobody's ever worshiping. Nobody's talking about God. Uh, there's no prayer in it. There's fasting, but, which may assume prayer, but there's, no, there's, there's nothing like that. God doesn't show up on any of these pages. How can this be part of holy, inerrant word of God? How can this be, be breathed by God if the author's signature is not in it anywhere? Doesn't mention his name anywhere in the book. That's the genius and the gift of the book of Esther. Because how many times have you and I gone through life and asked, where in the world is God? You read through your journals and you say, where the heck is God? He's nowhere to be found on the page. I haven't seen God for months. I haven't seen God for years. Where is he in the midst of this? Where is he when my mom passed away? Where is he when I got that cancer diagnosis? Where is he when my parents were fighting? Where is he when I got beat? Where is he when all of these things, where's God in the midst of this? If you've ever cried that cry before, then the book of Esther speaks your language. And it speaks the language of every believer who's walked the path of life in this broken world. From St. Augustine to Mother Teresa to Charles Spurgeon to countless people today. And you ask anybody, any man or woman of God, have you ever felt that God had left you? And you ask, where was God? I, I can guarantee you every single one of them will say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But the gift of the book of Esther is that no matter how absent he seems, he will never leave his people. You will never abandon. Not for a moment was I forsaken. Not for a moment. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And even in the darkest, I have lived in the goodness of God because there's never been a time where you were not with your people. Where was God in the book of Esther? He was there when Vashti went from the queen to becoming deposed. He was there when Esther was in the right place at the right time, fortuitously rising to the position of queen. He was there when Mordecai uncovered that assassination plot. He was there when, when, uh, when Xerxes couldn't go to bed at night. He was there when uh, Haman just happened to overhear the plot to honor the man that the king wanted to honor. He was there when Haman tripped all over the sofa of Esther. He was there in the midst of all of those things things so that the Jews would be delivered and the people of God might have a testimony. Their lives didn't end with a tombstone. It continued with a testimony, and that's the choice we face as we live in Persia. You're going to live for a tombstone just like all the rest to become like everything else and everyone else? we are you going to live for a testimony that my life made a difference in the lives of people in this world, broken as it is, is better because I lived in the midst of it for the glory of God? Not for a moment. If you're a child of God, were you ever, will you ever, have you ever been forsaken? God has met you and will continue to do that. I think one of the best apps that a parent of a teenager could have is an app called Life 360. Life 360 is basically, some of y'all have it, but I was introduced to it um, by, some, uh, by some friends in, in Virginia. Basically, it's a tracking app. You, you put it on your phone, and then you choose who your family members are. It's Manny, Elijah, Lisa, Olivia, and then um, you turn location permissions on, and you can always see where they are. Whenever they go somewhere, you see where they go. Their battery is low, you know that. If they're speeding, you know that. All of these things that you can do on Life 360. But when my dad um, lost the ability to drive, uh, we got him Life 360, just so that we would always know where he is. My mom, my dad, myself, and my brother, And I turned on location permissions. I'm not sure that they know that, but I turned it on so that we could see where they are. My brother turned his off, so we never know where he is. But as I live here in Florida and my parents live there in Virginia, I get messages whenever they go somewhere. And it's kind of like I'm spying on them. It's kind of interesting. It says, Dad left Gainesville home. (laughs) Right? But right after dad leaves Gainesville home, it always says mom left Gainesville home because she has to drive him everywhere. Dad is driving near Lee Highway right on top of dad's picture of his car, his face on a car, is mom's face on a car right on top of it. Mom is driving near <laughs> Lee Highway. Dad arrived at church. Mom arrived at church. Right at this, it's always at the same time. And I think that is a beautiful picture of what God does with us. Wherever you go, David moved into the darkness. God moved into the darkness with me. David moved into the light. God moved into the light. David rolled up to church. David went home. David went to the park. Everywhere I am, God is there with me, and he's there with you. It, but where was God in that cold hospital room when a doctor came in and told me the news that I didn't want to hear? He was with you right there. Where was God when I got kicked out of my house on the one night, just happened to be the coldest night of the year in Florida, and I was sleeping all by myself? Where was God? He was there in the car with you. Where was God when I was getting yelled at and screamed at and abused verbally? Where was God in the midst of there? He was holding you so that you did not fall apart. Where was God? See, here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. In the times when it seems like God is most absent, those are the times where God is most powerfully present. Like Jesus, here's how I know that this can be weird. Jesus, the last thing he said before he went to heaven, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And check this out, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And as soon as he said that, he's like, peace out, homies, and he goes up to heaven. What the heck? Jesus, he you said you're going to be with us always. And then you're like, what? <laughs> what? Those times where Jesus seems most absent, That's where he's most powerfully present. Because in order for that promise to be fulfilled, he had to go up in order that his spirit would come down. When he was with his disciples, Jesus was with his disciples, amongst his disciples. But when he went up, now God was in his disciples, the Holy Spirit living within them so that we know that wherever I go, he's with me. Whenever, wherever you move, he's with you there in those places. In fact, here's how in even greater way than I know. Because in the one time in history where God was most conspicuously absent, that's where God was actually most omnipotently present. If you were his disciples, 11 at the time, if you were one of the women who believed in him, you follow him, you follow him, you follow him. He's God. He's God. He's God. He's going to get his way out of this. And then you hear him cry into your hands, I commit my spirit. It is finished. And he heaves and he breathes his last and it's over. You're thinking, what in the world just happened? God, where are you? He was He was the Messiah. We gave up everything for three and a half years. We gave up fishing. We gave up our livelihood. We gave up our money. We gave up our tax collecting. We gave up our families. Everything we left behind to follow you. And now it's all gone. It's dead. God, where are you in this? In those times where God is most conspicuously absent, that's where he's most omnipotently present, you see, because the sin, the death, the Satan that tried to destroy Jesus were actually destroyed by the very means that they thought were going to destroy him. He used those to overturn them, and God's presence was there even when they thought he wasn't. Not for a moment. Was I forsaken? The Lord is in this place. We need to know that if we're going to live in the midst of this world, in order for us to not separate, to not assimilate, but to be agents of transformation, you've got to know. There is no, Esther's not the hero of the book of Esther. Mordecai's not the hero of the book of Esther. It's not Xerxes, it's not Haman, it's not Vashti. There's only one hero, and he's not named in this book. He's the hero that you and I need, and he's the hero that the world needs. Believe in him, trust in him, and let's lead others to find their hope in him. Let's pray together. Let's pray to the Lord God. Let's take a moment. What has God been speaking to you? What has God been saying to you through the book of Esther, through Purim, through this message today? How do you need to respond? Maybe some of you need to say, God, help me to believe that you're here because I am, I am just a, a few days away from walking away from faith because it's just been really hard. God, I need to see that you're here. And I'm not just asking you to show up, but God, I'm saying I'm going to show up for you. I'm going to show up for you. I'm giving my heart to you. I'm giving my life to you. I need you now, God. Would you meet me in this place? God will do that. God will meet you in this place. He will. Maybe for some of you, that's what you need to do. Maybe for others of us, it's, Lord, I've been living just like the world. I've been washed out like an ice cube. God, I need your help. Help me to stand for you. Give me brothers. Give me sisters with whom I'll stand. Maybe for some of you, you're in a mess. You've made a mess, but God wants to redeem that mess in your life. And God is saying, come to me. Confess that. Find hope. Find hope in me, in my arms, in my embrace. I'll never leave you. It will be worth it. Let's take a minute to pray to the Lord God. Can we do that? Just honestly, this is where transformation comes, not because you hear, not because you know, but because you do, because you live, because you obey. This is your gospel transformation through repentance and faith in Christ. This is where we change. Let's move towards our Savior right now for a few moments. Father in heaven, I think think if we're honest, there's a lot of choices that we've made that uh, we're just trying to run away from. We sang your goodness is running after me, but at the same time, sometimes we feel like my past is running after me. And, And it's just so tiring trying to run, trying to hide, trying to ignore, but it always seems to find us. Father, help us now, once and for all, to surrender it to you. Say, God, I've made a mistake. I've sinned. I give it to you. Would you redeem it, turn beauty from uh, ashes? God, I give it to you. I'm not defined by that anymore. I'm not going to run from it. I'm going to let you redeem it so that my life could be used for you. Lord, would you do this? Bring about redemption to our brokenness so that a broken world would find redemption in you and in your people. Father, help us. We need you desperately in need of you. Rescue us so that we might be agents of transformation in this world. Remind us that you're always with us, even when it doesn't seem like you are. May we walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us. First, keep on loving us. You never stop. In Jesus' name we pray.